the the passage we're in this morning is um, from Matthew chapter 14. No one wanted the front row. It doesn't matter where you put the front row. No one wants to sit there. Yes, Peter. Bags, bag. front row is good for bags right here. Um, Matthew 14 is our passage. It's a heavy passage, um, heavy context. We talked about this a little bit last week. Um, it begins with the death of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. John the Baptist was the one who kind of paved the way for Jesus kingdom of God. And... He had been killed by Herod. It's the only story in, in Matthew that doesn't even mention Jesus. Um, and so Jesus is away to a deserted place, which we looked at last week, likely grieving, likely afraid, likely anxious about what was in store for him. And the crowds followed him there, probably feeling the same thing. And those are words probably that could describe some of us this morning. Um, grieving, anxious, afraid. It's been a heavy, heavy week in the kind of global um, news and, and current realities. We started this week with rhetoric about nuclear war. Um, pithy responses over Twitter. Um, but that it leaves its residue in us of fear. It's not right that I have to talk with the boys last night about whether or not that's a reality or not. Because they've heard it from some little tweet. Um, and then obviously the events um, yesterday. Idolatrous, sinful, um, violent events. Um, of white supremacy and racism in Virginia. And that's what they are, and that's how we need to describe them, and they're heavy, and they bring fear and anger and pain and grief. So we're, we're right where this passage is. Um, we're right where these stories lie in the narrative of Matthew when we come together here this morning. Um, Matthew 14, verse 22 is where I'm going to read. Let me just read it and then I'll I'll put it up. Jesus has just fed the crowds despite his grief. He's met them in compassion. Um, He's met them where they are. Um, He took the very little that they had to do an amazing miracle of feast and fulfillment. And then we move to this story. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go out ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. By this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land. For the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came 
walking towards them on the lake. But when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. Don't you wish you knew the inflection of his voice there? Come, come. Like, it could be so many different things, right? All right, come, you know, whatever. (laughs) So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Early Christians had no, there's no no evidence, I don't think, of of early Christians feeling like walking on water was something that God was going to um, empower them to be able to do. Uh, When Peter sinks, or excuse me, Paul sinks in his boat, on mission, there's no evidence of him thinking, well, maybe I can get out of this by walking on water like Jesus did. Um, but there's an invitation here to enter this story with, with what we bring um, with us uh, today. Um, we, we are like the disciples. Our world um, right now, I think, is similar to the situation that these disciples are in, in this very story. Um, These disciples have seen Jesus' power. They just saw it, right, in the feeding um, of the 5,000. They've learned from him. They've prayed his prayer. They are professional fishermen, some of them. They do water and boats and do them well, presumably. And they are in this boat and they are stuck. Despite their gifts, despite their skills, despite their capacities. And they're stuck because these forces, these waves, these winds are pressing up against them. The Bible talks about things called powers and principalities. These are forces, these are waves, these are winds that press themselves up against humanity um, against us Um, and it's many of the things that we just mentioned um, that we're facing this week Um, in our world we've discovered so much we've invented so many things like amazing things and yet the things that we really need seem to go unaddressed We've learned so much about human psychology over the last 50 to 100 years. And yet we live in a culture that is desperately lonely. Though we know more than ever how much we need 
one another. Um, these are powers and principalities. Um, we've invented amazing machines. Machines that make war. But we can't seem to figure out how to make peace. Um, we think that these machines might help us, and, and they, they haven't. Um, we've put a person on the moon. And yet, people, we can't quite find a way to put food in people's stomachs, to put people into homes or houses. Driving down the 605 yesterday to go to the beach, it's just mind-boggling, the, the homeless camps that are forming and developing in so many places around Southern California. Um, these are powers and principalities that are real. Um, we can listen to the songs of whales and other deep sea animals on the grounds of the ocean. And yet I think, I guess it takes a racist rally to really open up our ears to the songs of neighbors and friends who've been, we've all been living in this reality for a long, long time. We know what it's like to be in a boat rocked by waves. And in this story, these disciples are in this boat and they're being rocked by these waves and these winds. And there, on the water, is this strange figure, Jesus, walking towards them. And they cry out, what? It's a ghost. How do we make sense of this? We so want to make sense of like solutions to these problems that we face. We so want to make sense of like, what is God up to? And this is legitimate um, concerns and feelings. What is, what is God's role in this craziness, these waves and these winds that, we, that, are, that are hitting our boats? Um, they say, it's a ghost. And some are frightened. Sometimes when we think of Jesus, Jesus is well known, right? Some people are frightened of Jesus. Some people are done with Jesus. Some people um, use Jesus to um, validate their, their concerns, their thoughts, their ideas. But this is Jesus walking on the waves, crashing against the boat, coming towards, towards us. Jesus doing the impossible. There's other stories about Jesus doing the impossible. How does a rich young ruler enter heaven? With humanity... It may be impossible, but with God, all things are possible. We're here this morning for a lot of different reasons. We want to see friends. This is what we do on Sunday morning. 
we want our kids in godly play for the last time or, or into confirmation. We have responsibilities. But at the end of the day, come on, are we ready to wake up for here? At the end of the day, we are here because we hold out hope that somehow, even in these crazy waves and winds that we're facing, that God, through Christ, still can do the impossible. That God can still walk on water. That rich, wealthy people can still enter the kingdom of heaven. And so we gather and we worship God because we believe, we want to believe, um, that all things are possible. Peter sees Jesus coming. And, and it's hard to know, right? Is it, this an affectionate plea to Jesus? Let me come to you. Is it a, yeah, right. Let me walk, let me walk and find out. I guess that would be kind of dumb because then if it wasn't, he'd sink and die. But, but there's this like weird inter, interaction where Peter says, let me come to you. And he jumps on the water, eyes focused on Jesus, because he too believes that nothing is impossible with God. And he begins to walk towards Jesus. And not surprisingly, the waves, the winds, the forces knocking against them catch his attention. And he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he sees the waves, the passage says, and he begins to sink. One person alone against the elements has no chance. One church alone against these forces can't do it. What this passage is suggesting is that anything done without the power of the Holy Spirit, without our eyes fixed upon Christ, is going to be a tough road to walk. On our own power, with our own privilege, with our own skills and capacities to get things done, we face these insurmountable waves and we, we sink. Um, I have a friend named John. Um, he's, a, he's a pastor and um, really one of my heroes. Um, he, was, he was in college, just out of college, um, and was teaching in the summers in Galveston, Texas. Right out of college, he went through in, immense personal pain at the loss of a relationship. Um, and so he went back to Galveston after that to, uh, to do what he did. It's all he knew how to do is he'd go and he would teach English um, to, to kids there in Galveston. Galveston... Um, faces many of the realities that um, we've seen on the news um, yesterday and today. Um, major uh, 
racial tension, um, discrimination. Um, and he, white male, was, was teaching in this context. And some of his colleagues, African-American women, invited him to go to church with them. And so he spent three or four summers in Galveston as the only white member of, let me get the right name of this church here, um, of the Union Baptist Church, First Union Baptist Church in, in Galveston. And he talks about um, the pastor, Reverend Everson, and how Reverend Everson reached out to him in this deep, deep place of pain that he was experiencing. That Reverend Everson also celebrated with him a couple years later when he met his um, soon-to-be wife. Um, that Reverend Everson and this, this church community kind of went with him through, through this, this journey of learning to teach and becoming the great teacher that he is. But he says that one of his strongest memories and a memory that came up for him yesterday was that Reverend Everson one time gave a sermon where he just preached the book of Hosea as if that was his sermon. Um, and he preached this sermon out of Hosea and he delivered it um, as if he was Hosea speaking. And my friend John says it just wrecked him. Um, to tears. He never heard anything like it. Um, and what came to him yesterday, and this is nothing that was in the sermon or anything that was, was said by, by the people of this church, but what came to him yesterday is that of how many black men and women, really people of color, following Jesus must feel like Hosea today. Um, Hosea was married to an adulterer, this symbolic relationship, um, who cheats and cheats and cheats, bears children, and yet Hosea never chooses to leave. Um, Hosea continues using the keys of the kingdom of heaven to unlock doors, create openings for people like John, um, welcome. and yet never um, chooses to leave as that adulterous spouse keeps doing again and again what, what they had done. Um, but, but Hosea's passion for God musters up his faithfulness to continue to serve and to love and speak truth. Um, At times like we're facing, we'll see it all over um, Facebook. We're gonna, people are going to respond, right? Many of us have. I have. Um, we're going to rise up and we're going to say how atrocious those acts were um, that were done yesterday in Charlottesville. And Hosea's spouse would do that too, would come back and say, oh, I love you. I'm with you. And then as the days and weeks and months go on, the spouse would, would come back, would, would continue back into the old patterns. 
my friend John just wondered, how do Christians who follow Christ um, feel? How, how do some of us feel um, when we rise up in moments like this? Um, and yet it's so easy because these powers and principalities are so real and embedded in our lives. It's so easy to just slip back into old patterns. Um, we're a part of the Church of the Nazarene. Um, and the Church of the Nazarene actually just redid their, their statement on, on racism and discrimination at the last kind of general meeting that was this past, just, just not long ago, a month or two ago. Um, and it, I, think it, I think it's helpful, um, and I want to point out a couple things from it. It says that we lament the legacy of every form of racism throughout the world. And we seek to confront that legacy through repentance, reconciliation, and biblical justice. We seek to repent of every behavior in which we've been overtly or covertly complicit with the sin of racism, both past and present. That covertly is the, is the, is the patterns that we just can so easily slip back into. Um, and in confession and lament, we seek forgiveness and reconciliation. Further, we acknowledge that there's no reconciliation apart from human struggle to stand against and to overcome all personal, institutional, and structural prejudice responsible for racial and ethnic humiliation and oppression. We call upon Nazarenes everywhere to identify and seek to remove acts and structures of prejudice, to facilitate occasions for seeking forgiveness and reconciliation, and to take action toward empowering those who've been marginalized. Um, Myra Macedo Nolan is the, is, works at the Lake Avenue Foundation. She also happens to be the, the chair of the board for the CCDA, Christian um, Coalition. Um, what does that stand for? It's uh, Christian Community Development Association. And she put out a grid that I thought was so helpful. And I want to show it to us. Um, and what it is, is it's, um, it's a, it's a, a diagram that kind of gets at this overt and, and covert racism that is so real um, in, our, in our way of life. Um, and what I want you to do, I'm going to go back. We're going to go back to it. Don't worry. What I want you to do is, I mean, briefly look at the overt, right? That's yesterday. Overt racism, right? Um, horrific things like flags, Nazi flags, and um, KKK marches, and just racist, racist rhetoric. And just look at that briefly, but then scan the covert, the under-the-surface patterns, um, and just see what jumps out at you, whether it's something you experience as a person of color, whether it's something that you find yourself participating in without realizing it or wanting to, but it's just part of your practice. Um, whatever, whatever one connects most with our church, where do you see 
um, our community? Where do we see this stuff lived out and played out? Because I think to, to not fall back into the patterns, we've got to name a few challenging realities of the way that we participate. And we name this not staring at the waves, trying to tackle them on our own power and strength, but we name these things with our eyes fixed on Christ, who desires a new creation um, for all of us. Amen? Okay. Just, just quietly kind of take a look at that and see which ones, if any, jump out at you. I don't even know what some of these are, which maybe is a dangerous place to be. Um, so you're not alone if you don't know what some of these are. Anyone willing to share out loud one that stands out to you as relevant for yourself, whether it's something you experience or, or find yourself participating in, or, or, um, or something that you think our community needs to, to name and be mindful of and careful about? one for me, both in our family and in our church. Um, again, not intentional, but tends to be practiced.
thing I, I want to say that, that has struck me a lot, and um, Mount Sinai Communion, um, we are a multi-ethnic community um, in the sense that there are people who are members of this body who are not, um, who are people of color. And so, oftentimes I'll hear us describe ourselves as um, a white church. And certainly, there are more white people in our church um, than, other, than people of other ethnicities and cultures. Um, but to, to kind of reiterate that over and over as a way to make ourselves um, I think sometimes we can say that to, to make ourselves look like, we're, oh yeah, we're aware of that, um, is to minimize the importance of the stories and lives of those of us in this room and in this body who, who are people of color. And so I think moving forward, we've got to figure out what our language and practices are going to be. Um, with our eyes fixed on Jesus, um, that God, that we might, God might crack us open um, to more and more um, understanding, celebration, um, participation um, of people from different ethnicities and cultures. Um, and how do we, how do we proclaim? We're one big family and yet be honest about the particularities and um, uh, cultural realities and stories in the room. Does that make sense? Um, we've got a, a great group going on Sunday mornings um, that is certainly not the, the cure-all um, for all of this. Um, but our Seeking Justice group is... Is, is trying to be a group of people that is just like, how do we like practically do some stuff around justice? <laughs> and, and issues of race is a justice issue. Um, and it's, um, so I'm, I'm really thankful for a number of people in this room who are, who are going about work of justice on Sunday mornings and kind of leading us uh, into um, concrete action and consideration around this. Um, but we need to pray for each other. We need to pray for our country. We need to pray for our world. Um, and um, that God might just continue to do a new thing. I, and I use that word continue in a real intentional, intentional way. Paul, Peter, excuse me, Jesus, Paul, Peter, sorry, yeah. Peter, Peter loses track of Christ in this story and begins to sink and experiences fear and doubt. And I love that fear and doubt are, are, are okay in the gospel. Um, the fear and doubt are, are acknowledged as real, as a part of our, our journey. Um, and then Jesus responds to him. Um, 
And Jesus not only re- and Jesus responds immediately. The word immediately is all over this passage. I think three or four times. If you didn't pick that up. Um, and Jesus reaches out, catches him, then gives him a, a, some words of, I think, comfort and rebuke. Um, and I think today's a day that, that we, we acknowledge we need words of comfort and rebuke um, in our practices and, and, and just in our country. Um, he says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Um, why did you take your eyes off of me? And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Um, And somehow I want us to hear an invitation today, not as an escape, which sometimes Christian phrases like this can, can be used, not as an escape from all the hard realities that we're just kind of grappling with today, but as a, as a lens to engage Let's fix our eyes on Jesus as we walk, as they hit against us, as we feel them and experience them in so many different ways. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, who still does the impossible. Um, does what seems like, wow, how, how can we get somewhere from here? Jesus, Jesus does the impossible. In Ephesians, we're invited To put on the armor of God. And so I just want to read this um, as kind of a metaphor for, for, for moving out of here. Because what does it mean um, to, to put on the armor of God in a context like this? Be strong in the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The waves that crash, the winds. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist. Naming some of these things today is, is truth. Um, put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. When Jesus does the impossible in our passage, the disciples do one thing. They worship Him. They worship Him. Um, my original sermon was going to be about that. <laughs> Worship. Intellectually, I think we try to do that around here. Emotionally, physically, 
embodied? What does it mean to engage um, and follow Jesus with these waves as realities, worshiping him in all the different kind of aspects of who we are? So as the kids come in, Kurt, let's, let's sing. We'll do this emotionally and physically together. Um, let's sing a song, and then we'll, we'll take Eucharist together. <laughs>